Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Arise to Truth. My name is Wesley Simons, and I preach for the Stony Creek Church of Christ in Elizabethton, Tennessee. And I'm Eddie Kraft. I'm the co-director of the Tri-City School of Preaching, Christian Development in beautiful Elizabethton, Tennessee. And I'm Jeff Johnson, the Dean of Students at the Tri-City School of Preaching and Christian Development. I'm Tim Phillips. I'm Dean of Instructors for the Tri-City School of Preaching and Christian Development. And if that caller will call back, we'll try to get them on the air. We're sorry that we couldn't take it. We're trying to introduce the program. We also have Vicki Manuel with us, who is serving as our control person today, and we appreciate her filling in for Michael Jordan, who is under the weather. And so we hope that everything goes good. Thank you for tuning in to Arise to Truth, and we appreciate you being with us. All right. All right. Here's the phone call. Let me take it. Arise to Truth. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Okay, thank you. Bye. All right, gentlemen, Eddie was adjusting my headset. Could y'all hear? Yes, he talked about Jeremiah as being referred to as the weeping prophet and and why. Okay. All right, Tim, uh, I think you can take care of that, and especially in Lamentations and, and the book of Jeremiah. Oh, yeah. Matter of fact, I mean, he was there... Uh, during the uh, carrying away uh, of the southern kingdom into Babylonian captivity. The first carrying away happened in 606 B.C., then second one in 597 B.C., and the third, uh, 586 B.C., so he was there uh, for all of it. And then, uh, you know, even in the uh, book of uh, Lamentations, uh, he goes on to say in verse 1, in, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, how does the city sit solitary that was full of people how she become a as a widow, she that was great among the nations and princes among the pro, uh, provinces. How has she become uh, tributary? She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks among all her lovers. She has none to comfort her. All of her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. And uh, Jeremiah has seen all this, and you know it just breaks his heart of what took place. Yeah, During that time period. That's right, Tim, and it burned him up even the way he was being treated. Yes. Heartache is going through. So he decided he'd quit preaching. Yeah. But the burning in his bones wouldn't allow him to do that because he loved the people so much right. and his heart bled for them. Yeah, matter of fact, that's uh, Jeremiah chapter 20. And when you study Jeremiah chapter 20, I mean, you want to talk about what we call a roller coaster ride as far as a prophet goes. I mean, there is a pastor, the son of Emmer, uh, persecuting Jeremiah. He sm- sm- uh, smote Jeremiah in verse 2 and then placed him in stocks. And then, you know, Jeremiah's just tore all to pieces about this. And uh, then, no doubt, he was making fun of. And then verse 9, Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. At that burning fire, but even at the end of this chapter, once again, he goes into a little bit of despair and even curses the day of his birth. Yeah. You know, at least the like weeping prophet, 
These are names that people that are not inspired give right. to mm-hmm. these different people. If you read Isaiah chapters 1 and 2, you'll get the idea he's a weeping prophet right. too. You know, and it's all because of the condition of God's people, all the advantages they had had, all of the opportunities that had been afforded them. And in spite of all of that, guess what they did? They turned their back, as it were, on God and backslid. And as Isaiah described them, they were nothing but a putrefying sore. You know, even Jesus Christ could be classified as a weeping yes. prophet. Right. Mm-hmm. He was certainly a prophet like unto Moses, mm-hmm. according to Deuteronomy 18 and Acts 3. Right. And he wept over the people yeah. because of what they did. Wept over the city of Jerusalem? Yeah, that's right. Because he knew what was going to take place in AD 70. And he knew that they would not accept him as Lord and Savior. Right. And he knew what it was going to cost them. So we appreciate our caller. By the way, you can be a caller and a participant in our program. To all who've called in days gone by, thank you much for being a part of the Arise to Truth radio program. Now, gentlemen, we've been trying to cover Romans 10. And we got people like John Hagee, Hal Lindsey, Jerry Jenkins, and a multitude of other preachers who believe that Israel is still God's chosen people. And we're talking about physical Israel over in Bible land. And the Bible makes it clear they're not God's chosen people today. They once were, but not now. The church is the Israel of God. Isaiah 6.16, I mean Isaiah, Galatians 6.16. Got Isaiah on my mind now. Also Romans 2.28.29. A Jew is not one who's a Jew outwardly, but inwardly. Circumcision is not that circumcision of the flesh, but of the heart. And if you're baptized into Christ, according to Galatians three twenty-seven through 29, you become Abraham's seed. So if we go back to Romans 10 and read verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end, the culminating point, the one, the law pointed to. He's the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So here we see that Paul doesn't think for a moment Israel's got it made. He's praying for them that they might be saved. He recognizes their ignorance as they continue to buy into the law of Moses and try to bind it on New Testament Christians. And then I want you to notice he's letting them know you don't buy into the one that the law of Moses was pointing to. And that being the Christ. Now, gentlemen, we briefly had discussed those verses. Right. Jump in anywhere you want to. You know, Wesley, uh, you made a tremendous point that the religious world forgets. And Paul here in Romans 10, what Israel is he talking about? See, now he is talking about fleshly Israel in Romans chapter 10 when he says that Israel might be saved. That is fleshly Israel. Well, if that is fleshly, fleshly Israel, and it is, how could they be lost, according to John Hagee and others that believe that the Jews are God's chosen people? Now, friends, let me tell you something. 
A Jew could not from lineage prove he was a Jew to save his life because the lineage was destroyed in A.D. 70 and no one could even prove what group they were from as a Jew, whether of the Levitical priesthood or if they were of the tribe of Judah or what tribe they were of. They would not be able to prove that. And so when you ask the question then, who is a Jew then, you read Galatians 3.26 through the rest of that chapter, and you'll find out who a Jew is, a spiritual Jew. That's God's fleshly, uh, God's spiritual Israel. And even uh, an analogy is made of that, as Wesley said in Galatians chapter 6. So in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, that is being a Jew, nor uncircumcision, availeth anything but a faith that works by love. Now there's what avails, a faith that works by love, not whether you're Jew or Gentile. We got into... Uh, life's program, we dealt with this, a little bit of a lengthy discussion over neither male nor female. That's right. And showing that they're still male and female, they're still Jew and Greek bond and free, that's not what the discussion is. The discussion of Romans 10 was that just being a fleshly Jew, and Jesus dealt with this his entire ministry, just being a fleshly Jew is not what matters. Obeying the gospel is what matters. On our WNBS Live program last night from the book of Ephesians, we saw that if you're a child of disobedience, you're in trouble with God, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Ooh, I'm sorry about that. That individual call back, maybe we can make connection. Eddie, did you get through? I did. Mm-hmm. All right, Tim? Yeah, sometimes uh, people will head over to Romans chapter 11 and verse 26, and they take this out of its context, where it says, and so all Israel shall be saved as written... There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Is that a phone call? Yeah, it's a phone call. Okay. Arise to truth you on the air. Go ahead, please. Hey, how are y'all, Wesley? We're doing good. You? Pretty good, boy. I bet it's cold on Signal Mountain today, don't you? Oh, I bet it is. You got, you got that right. Uh, I like to look at the first time you chapter 15, verse 29. And then Isaiah 38, verse 1, explain it. Thank you, Wesley. Okay, thank you. Bye. All right. All right, gentlemen, I hope you wrote those verses down. I'd grab me a pen and trying to get them down. Isaiah, or excuse me, uh, Isaiah 38, verse 1, and 1 Samuel 15, 29. All right, Tim, you got those? Read yeah, those. Let me go over there to 1 Samuel 15, verse 29. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent. For he is not a man that he should repent. Then uh, Isaiah 38 and verse number 1. Well, let me get my page here. Page is stuck together. Alrighty. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Okay, I assume... That he's uh, addressing, does God need to repent? Does God change his mind? Because the strength of Israel in First Samuel 15 is said to be one who does not repent. But yet, if you remember, he told Hezekiah, Set his house in order. Set your house in order, you're yeah. going to die. Well, Hezekiah torn, turned toward the wall and started to pray and reminded God that he had tried to serve him And lo and behold, guess what? He told the prophet to go back and tell him, you got 15 more years. 
Well, did the strength of Israel repent? No, the strength of Israel knew before the foundation of the world what he was going to do. And he just simply, for the benefit of man, said, look, prayer benefits. I knew what I was going to do. I knew how I was going to respond. When Hezekiah prayed the prayer that he prayed, it affected my heart. I've always known it would affect my heart. And so I did what a just and righteous God would do. But it was up to Hezekiah to respond. That's right. Yeah, it was up to Hezekiah to respond. Now, over here in First Samuel 15, verse 29, uh, the uh, kingdom was taken away from uh, King Saul. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of uh, what Saul had done, matter of fact, he already told him in First uh, Samuel 13 and verse uh, 14, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Now, the caller has brought up a great concept here. How shall we view the God of heaven? How shall we view him? Now, the premillennial people view him as a God that has chosen a group of people to be saved, makes no difference how they live. God is going to take care of Israel. My brother, and I love him to death, says that America, Russia, China, and everyone could join forces, go up against Israel, and Israel would beat the daylights out of them because God's going to take care of them regardless. Friends, when they were God's chosen people, when they lived wrong, God did not take care of them. No, the Babylonians beat the daylights out of them. That's right. And the Assyrians. That's right. And, Ai- and other nations. Philistines oftentimes yeah. beat the tar out of them. Yeah, a little town called Ai. Yeah, a little yeah. town called Ai whipped them. Now, you think about that, folks. And then people got to, got to gall to say, God will take care of them regardless. And what's sad is what they make God look like. Oh, the ungodly doctrines of men that make God look worse than Hitler. Calvinism does. God chose X number of people to be saved, X number of people to go to hell, regardless of anything they did or did not do. Once saved, always saved. Makes God look like a terrible, ungodly God. That he'll let a Christian fornicate, kill, go to heaven, but not a fellow out in the world. Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. To make God look that stupid and that ridiculous and that ungodly. I can't imagine reflecting on the pure and holy God to that extent. But yet many of these doctrines do exactly that. Arise to truth you on the air. Go ahead, please. I was quoting from a new version of the Bible, which can serve y'all, but it says uh, in uh, 1 Samuel... 15 and 29, the Lord is the eternal one of Israel. He is not human being, so he does not change his mind. Okay. Uh, that's, it, that's Samuel, 1 Samuel 15 29, this new version. Okay. And, and then down, down here, when he told Hezekiah was going to die, he changed his mind according to this new version of the Bible. Okay. Okay, thank you. Bye. Wesley, I wanted to say something, too. Uh, that makes, when God said in Samuel that he is the strength of Israel, 
If you'll read Nehemiah when they're trying to rebuild these walls and when things got really tough and they got discouraged and Nehemiah's trying to encourage them, in the fourth chapter of the book of Nehemiah, in verse 19, he said, The work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall one from another. The place thereon that you hear the sound of the trumpet resort thither. Now watch, he says, And God shall fight for us. Mm-hmm. It was never a matter, will God do what he says? God will fight for us. The, the problem was, even though God fought for them over and over again, they turned their backs on him. Oh, yeah. That's Isaiah chapter 1 again. Well, somebody get Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. And the whole purpose here is to demonstrate that I don't want y'all to think, because you're being whipped, that I can hear you when you pray, and my arm's not strong enough to deliver you. The problem is, and I want you to get it, your sins have separated between me and you, and I'm not going to come to your rescue. Somebody read those verses. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Yeah. And he's talking to his people. That's right. And it's sad. When you read uh, Jeremiah and you read these prophets, and I was telling Jeff or Ezekiel, he's teaching Ezekiel when he's yeah. out here at Stony Creek. Same thing, isn't it? Yeah, same thing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you see it all the way up through. <coughs> all the way, well, the first half of Ezekiel, you see doom. And then the second half, you see hope. You know, um, here they are in captivity uh, because they've turned to idolatry. They forgot, you know, forgot the sabbatical year. Uh, they just turned against God altogether. And now they're in captivity, the Babylonians, the Syrians. You know, it wasn't a pleasant time at all. And then, especially when you get to chapter 36, you see God bringing in some hope here. Mm-hmm. And then when you get into chapter 37, the Valley of the Dry Bones, well, we don't have time to talk about that chapter. But uh, you're talking about an encouraging chapter, how God is going to, he's going to be the strength for them, but they've got to, they got to remain faithful. When this remnant came out of captivity, uh, was it always easy? No, it wasn't, but God was always there. That's right. Arise to truth, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Uh, yes, uh, let me get you off. Here. Uh, I, I listen to you guys Appreciate your comments. Anything else? No, I guess that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. It is amazing these preachers that will yeah. come to the Jews' defense. Oh, we got to send money over there and rescue them. Friends, do you know that over in Israel now, most of those people are atheists? And we're sending money over there to rescue atheists? And they were going to outlaw Christianity? Not too many years ago, but decided we better not because that's one of our greatest businesses, mm-hmm. tourism, people coming over here to see Bible sites. That's the only reason they did not outlaw Christianity. It's ridiculous. Now, let's go back to does God change his mind. No, God never changes his mind. 
God has always known from the foundation of the world what he's going to do. Now, in the Bible, it speaks as if though he changes his mind for your benefit and mine to show that I can be influenced. But he knew he could be influenced from the foundation of the world. So he left the option. And he knew what he was going to do. Right. Let's say there's 50 choices before God on what to do. Well, if there are 50 choices before old Wesley, I've got to think it through. I've got to make sure I'm, I take the best one if I can figure out which one that is. God knows which one's the best one to start with. That's right. And he's already got that in, in his mind. That's the way he's going to go. He knew what he was going to do for Hezekiah. Mm -hmm. He knew it before Hezekiah was ever born. He knew that we were going to be here on this radio program today before any of us were ever born and who the callers would be and what the subject would be. Well, I didn't know it. I didn't know who I was going to call today and what the questions were going to be. But God has always known that. Wesley, Tim read a verse a minute ago that said, All Israel shall be saved. Isn't that right, Tim? Yeah, from uh, yeah, uh, Romans 11, verse 26. Now let me read one that Wesley read last week, or last time. Romans 9, 6. Now remember Tim's verse. It's in the Bible. All Israel shall be saved. Then in Romans 9, 6, he said, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are Israel. Well, if all Israel is going to be saved, you've got to know who Israel is. That's right. And he says not all of Israel is Israel. That is, right. not every Jew is a Jew. So, you know, it's who is a Jew then? Well, a Jew is one that's one inwardly. Chapter 2 of this book, Romans that's right. 28 and 29, and Galatians 3, 26 through 27. Yeah. So if they say, well, look. Not every Jew is going to be saved. Therefore, God's not true to his word. No, God's true to his word. You just got to remember not all Israel is Israel. Yeah, and back to uh, Romans eleven twenty six, and so all Israel shall be saved. You got to see what's said there in the context. So there is an adverb of manner. It's going to be in like manner. They're going to be saved one by one or grafted in one by one, just like the Gentiles. That's now, it. That, that destroys John Hagee's two plans of salvation. Oh, that's exactly. That's, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to. Uh, go on go on with that. Matter of fact, Romans 11, verse 23. And they also, that's speaking of uh, the Jews, if they abide not still in unbelief. Not still in unbelief. What was the problem? Well, Romans 10, 9, 10, they wouldn't believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, nor would they confess Him. That's, that's the context there of Romans chapter 10. That's right. That, that we're discussing. But anyway... And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. So, when they obey the gospel, this is very important when we go to uh, Acts chapter 15. You know, there was a big discussion that, uh, bringing up with some, said that uh, the Gentiles, they had to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised. And, of course, the apostles said, no, ma'am, that's not the case. And the Apostle Peter said in Acts 15, verse 9, And put no difference between us, that's the Jews, and them, that's the Gentiles, purifying their hearts by faith. And that's the system of faith, the faith system. So it's the same faith system that will save both Jew and Gentile. Acts 15, verse 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we that speaking of the Jews, shall be saved even as they, the Gentiles. 
one plan of salvation, Romans 1, 16 and 17. You know, and I appreciate the color because I believe if anybody will take his or her Bible and read it, they'll see through John Hagee. That's right. There's what the man says can't be true if the Bible's right. And like Wesley said in the very beginning, Wesley, even in the Old Testament when the fleshly Israel were God's chosen people, even then if they weren't obedient, they were cast out. That's exactly That's right. right. You know, it makes God look like a monster. I'll take care of the ungodly Jews. Makes no difference what, because I, God Almighty, said I'm going to choose them. Mm-hmm. My, my. I mean, you've got to be wiser than that, folks, on the concept of God. That's right. I mean, when you think about Godness, you're talking about a being that's got every attribute to its greatest degree. Now, you mean to tell me that's fairness, justice, and righteousness to its greatest degree? To take care of the Jews no matter what they do? Now, America, one reason where we look like dirt to the Muslims is because we've taken up for the Jews over there regardless of what they've done. Why? Because they're an ally. Well, we shouldn't take up for people that are doing wrong. Amen. Arise the truth you on the air. Go ahead, please. Just going to make another comment. Uh, if you look, I believe it's in Joshua where uh, Israel was told that if they ever, you know, started disobeying God, that he would, uh, he would chastise them, cut them off. I think, I think he even says he will vomit them out. appreciate your comments. Thank you. Bye. He's exactly right. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, I know they were warned mm-hmm. oh, yeah. that when you go in and get land that you, in essence, was given to you, vineyards you did not plant, houses you did not build, you be faithful to me. Don't forget your God or I will drive you from the land. Now, that's a true honest and just God. That's right. But yet, that's not the way John Hagee and the premillennial people view the true and living God. Amen. Tim, you got a comment? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Deuteronomy. Just read Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28. That's dealing with the blessings and the cursings. And Wesley, you're exactly right. There was there were conditions given to the children of Israel. Right. If not, you know, God Almighty was going to bring in a nation. Let me just read Deuteronomy uh, 28 verse 49. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. A nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young, and he shall eat the fruit of thy cattle, and the fruit of thy land, until thou be destroyed, which also shall not leave thee either corn, wine, or oil, and the increase of thy kind, or flocks of thy sheep, until he have destroyed thee. 
That's right. And that's exactly what happened to him. You know, guys, if uh, our caller sounds like some of them have been reading their Bibles, Wesley. That's right. Oh, he made a great comment on Romans eleven twenty six. That's the truth. That's right. So if uh, we want to encourage you, if you'll go back and read the minor and major prophets, you'll see, I mean, it don't take a Solomon. You'll see God getting on them because they disobeyed his land. He told them to go in and destroy the people, not to intermarriage. And you read Hosea, and guess what? They intermarried. You read all of these books, precious books of the Bible. They intermarried, and God said, Ezra and Nehemiah. Yeah. If you'd have just done what I said to started with, you wouldn't be in this mess. Listen to Romans 11, beginning with verse 17. It says, And if some of the branches be broken off, that's the Jews, and thou, Gentiles, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakers of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Now see, the Gentile might say, well, we got rid of some of the Jews so that we, the Gentiles, could be grafted in. God says, no, that's that's wrong. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. Mm -hmm. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. No, God says, they were broken off because of their unbelief, and you got grafted in because of your faith. Then look at verse 21. For if God spared not the natural branches, the Jews, take heed lest he also spare not thee, the Gentiles. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. The goodness and what? The goodness and the severity of God on them which fail, fail. These are the Jews, severity. But toward thee, Gentiles, goodness. Now watch the condition. If, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. I'll tell you one thing, that sure don't sound like once saved, always saved. They were in, and then they're out because of their unbelief. But if they change the unbelief to belief, they can be back in. I tell you, Satan has sold so many rotten, ungodly doctrines to religious people, it is unreal. And they buy it because they're ignorant of God's Word. Friends, you don't want to be ignorant of God's Word. And we wonder how in the world we produce so many atheists in our generation. That's right. I mean, I'd be an atheist too, fellas, if I thought there's a God out there that just chose a nation. No matter how they lived, he's going to take care of them. They can live ungodly. They can be meaner than I am as an atheist. They can fornicate more than I do as an atheist, steal more than I do as an atheist, lie more than I do as an atheist. But one thing about their good God, he'll take care of them. Friends, a God that takes care of people like that is not a good God. Oh, you made a great point there, Wesley. I mean, just think about, you know, a person becoming an atheist. I'd probably become an atheist myself. I mean, here's a person that says, well, I'm a child of God. Well, why are you out there drinking and fornicating and committing adultery? I do that as an atheist or, you know, say I'm not an atheist. I'm condemned to hell. 
But this person who claims to be a child of God, they're on the way to heaven and them doing all these ungodly things. Yeah. That's the ungodly doctrine of once saved, always saved. Can you imagine when the Lord returns, here's a so-called Christian in a beer joint and sloppy drunk and a person that's never been born again there, sloppy drunk, both of them kissing around on women that are not their wives. They're both married, but now they're kissing around. They've set up a motel appointment for the women, and they're on their way out to go fornicate when the Lord appears in the air. And lo and behold, the drunk that's a child of God is called up to glory, and the drunk that's not... And says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Yeah, isn't that something? My, who, my. Who can believe such garbage? Who can serve a God like that? That's why the Lord's Prayer was so important in John 17, that we all be one. That's right. And, and to those of us that are members of the Church of Christ, we've got to really be on guard then. that We don't try to convert people out of the stupidity they see in division. And then bring them into our uh, meeting places, and then they see us divided. That's right. You know, and can't get along and so forth. And that's, uh, unity produces believers. Division produces atheists. According to Jesus' prayer in John 17, uh, he said, I pray that we all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. How how are people going to know? That Wesley and Eddie and Jeff and Tim, Vicky, how are they going to know we're servants of God if we have love one for another? If they see something they don't see anywhere else, Wesley, we have got a tremendous chance of leading them to Christ. But if they see the same old, same old that they see everywhere else, our chances of winning anyone is slim to none. Oh, yeah. As I was praying the other night, and I often do this, to whom am I praying? What is he really like? And I got to attributing attributes to the true and living God. Number one, I'm praying to the creator of this universe. Number two, to a God that believes in destruction. In other words, judgment. Look at the flood. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. And he warns you and me, we better not fear a person that can kill the body, but one that can destroy both body and soul in hell. One that believes in predestination. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, he predetermined that everybody would be saved through the chosen seed, the Christ. Mm -hmm. Then, the God of preservation. All the Old Testament is, friends, is how God preserved the seed line to bring the Savior into the world. That's all it is. And then he's the God of visitation. In that deity actually came to this earth and visited you and me. And then he's the God of glorification. He glorified his son, just like he said he would, set up his kingdom and establish the plan of salvation that Joel and the other prophets saw. And then he's the God of exaltation, that he'll exalt everyone that believes in him and does what he wants done. And I thought, this is the God to whom I am speaking. And I want to do a lesson on that. You just think about the God to whom we're speaking and the plan that he's always had in mind, even from the foundation of the world. So much so, he never has to change his mind. 
He never has to really think a thing through. Should I go to the left-hand side, to the right-hand side? No, he knows what's on both sides, and he's already got it figured out which side's right. Exactly. See, Wesley's got to try to figure it out. And Wesley may choose the left. No, 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 I need to be on the right. No, get it back on the left. It's kind of like me being at Walmart. I can get into a line that's got two people in it and avoid the one that's got 18. And the one with 18 will go faster than the one with two. I don't know how that works. I've told my wife time and time again, how in the world does that work that I can get in the wrong line every time? Well, the Lord's got all that figured out. He knows which line to be in, which decision to make, which way to go. He doesn't have to think about it. Wesley, as you'd put it, dumb as a coal bucket. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's the problem. But, uh, you know, you're right. And, you know, the beautiful thing, Wesley, somebody may listen to this and say, well, why do you pray then if God already knows what he's going to do? Because God in his word told us that we can affect his choice that he's going to make. He that's already right. knows which choice it's going to that's be. That's right. That's right. But he, by your the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. I'm confident that there's people that are well today because of the prayers of the saints that would not have been well right. without the prayers of the saints. Now, did God know the saints was going to pray? Yes. But that is what he has said is going to affect him is whether or not we care. If I still believe the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man does avail much. Hezekiah. That's, That's right. exactly right. Hezekiah's case. That's right. And so we pray... And we must pray believing that these folks are going to do fine. And the first and foremost, though, that God's will be done and not ours because he knows what's best. That's exactly right. Gentlemen, you got any more comments before we go on? No, go ahead. Okay. Now, in case you tuned in late, we're in Romans chapter 10. We read the first four verses, beginning with verse 5. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. The only way, fellows, that a person could be righteous under the law of Moses was to keep the law perfectly. That after you committed one sin, all the animal sacrifices on the face of the earth would not appease God. It would not set your conscience clean. And Hebrews 10, 1 through 4 makes that extremely clear. And if it would have, let's say it did, then the death of Christ was not necessary. Just keep offering animals. See, sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. Hebrews 10, verse number 5. Well, if God wouldn't accept sacrifices and offerings as being the total appeasement for sin then what was going to be the total appeasement? Jesus' Son, our God's Son, Jesus, dying on Calvary's cross for you and me. Now, watch this. We've had those in days call, uh, gone by calling here and argue there's only one in the Godhead. Well, explain Hebrews 10.5. It says, A body hast thou prepared for me. I want to know who the thou is. And who the me is. Of thou prepared a body for the me. I, I'd like to know. Now, some of you oneness, if you want to call in and explain who the thou and the me is, we'd be glad to hear that. And we need some help on some pronouns. In Genesis 1, let us 
make man in our own image. Pronouns that are plural in nature. We need a little help on the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus is coming up out of the water, the Holy Spirit sending down on him and a voice from heaven speaking. Arise the truth, you on the air. Go ahead, please. Thank you. Well, friends, you got to hold the view, like it or not. There's only one God. That's right. Any view that says there's two gods is a view that's false. Now, what makes up the realm of the one God? In Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hero Israel, the Lord our Lord, is one Elohim. That's plural. Plural. Not singular. And so that don't help them. That destroys their position. And I guess Exodus 23 says, Thou to have no other gods before me. Yeah. I assume that's what it said. And so there's not to be any other gods before Jehovah God. You know, when you look at the Old Testament, you see all three in the Godhead back there. When you read the New Testament, all three. These three are one, as a husband and wife are one. The people that started to build the Tower of Babel, God said they are one. They had one mind, purpose, aim, and goal. And that's the way it is with the Godhead. Three divine beings in that essence. There's only one realm of humanity but about 7 billion people make it up. So it is one realm of the Godhead. And three precious beings comprise the Godhead. Did Jesus Christ give his life, or did God the Father give it? Did God the Father give his Son, or did God the Father give himself? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Is it true that if I should be so fortunate as to be saved when time shall be no more, that Jesus Christ will confess me to his Father, which is in heaven? Is his Father really in heaven? While on earth, when he prayed, our Father, which art in heaven, did Jesus Christ tell the truth, or did he lie? When Jesus said, I must go away, that I might send the Comforter unto you, namely the Holy Spirit. Did he really go away, and did he really send the comforter? Now, gentlemen, jump in. Sometimes uh, they'll go to Isaiah, uh, the oneness people will, and uh, they'll misuse some passages of Scripture there, but you've got to understand what's being said here in the context. Uh, let me go to Isaiah 43, verse 10. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he, 
before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. So they'll use that, and also verse 11, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Well, that's true. Now watch this in verse 12. What is he talking about? I have declared and have saved, and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. He's talking about the false gods. Those false gods can't save you. That's right. And then uh, Isaiah 44, verse 6, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. That's exactly right. But what's the context? Watch verses 9 and 10. They that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit, and they are their own witnesses. They see not nor know that they may be ashamed. Who hath formed a God or a molten, a graven image that is profitable for nothing? So he's talking here in this context about uh, false gods, idols being made. That's right. It's a contrast between the one true God and all false gods. Yeah. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Yeah. One Elohim. Yeah. Plural. That's right. You know, the kind of idolatry, guys, that's in the Old Testament, is, you see very little anymore. Right. Wesley, you mentioned a list of things last night that could become our God. Yeah. Our idol, and it's, th- it's not a piece of wood that we bow down to or make out of wood, but it, it can be a lot of physical things, can it? Oh, yeah. It can be uh, your iPhone, Jeff's holding up. It can be your family. It can be your car. It can be your money. It can be your looks, your prestige, your power. It can be a lot of things. I mean, Jeff combs his hair down and bangs to one side. It makes him look younger. At least that's what he's been told. (laughs) I wanted to comment, too, on this verse 5 again, if I could. In Romans 10, Moses described the righteousness which is by the law, that the man which doeth these things shall live in them. Well, you have a commentary on that in Galatians 3.10. That's right. In Galatians 3.10, as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Now, why are they under a curse? Now, watch. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things, not some or most, all things that are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law. Now, he's not talking about just any law. We have the law of the Spirit. We are justified by the law of the Spirit. But we're not justified by the law of Moses. Why? Because the people that lived under it had to continue in all things that are written therein. So that no man is justified by the law. In the sight of God, it is evident, the just shall live by faith. The law is not of faith. Well, it's not of the faith system. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So he's not talking about a personal faith. Noah built an ark by faith. They marched around the walls of Jericho by faith. They heard the word of God, and they did what God said. But see, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the works of the law. If that's all you have, then you don't have enough to be justified because you're justified by the faith system that the Old Testament law brought us to. So Christ hath redeemed us, or as Romans put it, he's the end of the law. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us because it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And so they could not keep that law perfectly, and there was not built into that system a means of forgiveness once they violated it. That's right. Now I want to read 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 right fast, because I want to get eight, I mean 9 and 10 in here, because these are sugar sticks for faith-only people. Now notice, if you will, verse 6. 
but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. Uh, now notice, these are quotes similar to Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. Hey, we got the evidence. That's the argument being made. We don't have to raise Christ up again and let him teach and let him die again. The evidence is in. Verse number 8, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee. See, you know it. Even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Colossians 1.6, Colossians 1.23 says that it was preached to every creature. Now, keep in mind the context of verses 9 and 10. He's trying to get disbelieving Jews to where they need to be. Where do they need to be? Confess and believe in the Christ. Look at verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So the preachers that bring these verses up, fellas, don't even realize the context of the verses. Well, see, I thought they was already saved. This says you shall be saved. That's right. Arise the truth you on the air. Go ahead, please. Uh, that man I was quoting to you that wrote that article, he says, just as the word rapture is not in the New Testament, the word transit is also not in the New Testament. Uh, I, I never didn't know where it was in there or not, but I'm sure you can answer that. Thank you, Wesley. Okay, thank you. We don't use the word trinity. We use Godhead. Uh, you won't hear us use the word Trinity unless we're referring to somebody else who said it. That's right. Because the word Trinity is used two different ways by the religious world. Some use Trinity to mean there's three separate and distinct beings in the Godhead. Some use the word Trinity to mean that there's three manifestations representing the one God. Why not just believe what the Bible says? There is a Godhead. That's right. And in the Godhead, there are three distinct beings. Now, the word rapture is not in the Bible, and the word trinity is not in the Bible. But it says these three are one, 1 John 5, 7, and that's what we believe, those three are one. Arise the truth you on the air. Go ahead, please. We know, uh, like a man and his wife, Sister Mary, we know there are two people, but a third pulling the wagon, so to speak, the same way they're thought of as one. That's right. Because they're for the same purpose. Now, the Godhead. Now, we think as it being one God. So I think Christ was all three of them. I think he represents all three of them. But he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was a friend, Father, if thou be willing, thou canst remove this cup from him. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine be done. Okay, before he left the apostles... Over, I think, in John 14, and I don't have my Bible, and I'm driving. I, I believe that's where it is. He said that he was going to go away. I will pray to the Father, and he shall send you another comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. I do believe they're all three separate, but they are one because they're all for the same purpose. There is no disagreement in them. I believe they're all three separate beings, 
because I do not believe that my Lord was praying to himself. That's exactly right. Uh, All right. That's the way I see it, and I hope to shed some light on it. All right. Thanks, sir. Thank you, sir. Bye. I'd like to shed some light on that, but he's got the truth on it. That's right. And so he's been reading his Bible. Three separate bins. And like he says, when the Lord prayed, he wasn't praying to himself. You know, when he said, I came not to do mine will, my will, but the will of my Father which sent me. Mm-hmm. Friends, if he came, if there's only one being, he lied. He did come to do his will. And he just uh, trying to fake it like uh, there's somebody else out there when in reality there's nobody out there at all. All right, gentlemen, you got about two minutes to make a comment here. Well, you know, what some of these preachers try to do, try to get two different plans of salvation, one for the Jews, one for the Gentiles. The problem with the Jews is they will not believe in Jesus Christ. That's right. And here Paul said they must believe in Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, Jesus Christ in the context in John 8, verse 24, he was talking to the Jews. He said, I said, therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. You know what amazes me, fellas? The religious people now that have reverted so far back in their religious beliefs that they'll let just about anybody be saved without the Christ. I talked to a Catholic priest in preparing for a debate on this program. He said, you didn't have to believe in the Christ to be saved as long as you believed in God. Jesus held the opposite view. And didn't even have to believe in God if he's a good atheist. That's right. If you're a good atheist, you don't even have to believe in God. That's exactly right. Who changed it? Yeah, who changed all of this? Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And he said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's right. Either Jesus Christ told the truth, ladies and gentlemen, or he's one of the biggest liars that's ever walked the face of God's green earth. Well, he did not lie. That's right. And if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, and if you're not covered by his precious blood, I will make you a promise based on the word of God. You will not make it to heaven. Yeah. We want you to make it to heaven. And there's a plan that you can obey wherein you'll be blood covered. What is it? Hear the word of God, put your faith in Jesus, repent of what Jesus says is wrong, confess Jesus Christ before men, be baptized into the death of Jesus Christ where you crucify the old man of sin to rise to walk in newness of life, and Jesus will add you to his church. Did you notice? It's all Jesus-centered. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If we can help you come to Jesus, call us. Thank you so much for being with us, and may God richly bless you as you continue to study the greatest of all books, the inspired, inerrant, perfect will of God.